It's really a journey of opening your heart. You'll never be able to hear the water speak if you don't open your heart. Right. And so that's what we're all doing. We're all learning how to open our hearts because there's science that tells you, oh, here's here's the magnetic capacity of the brain. And here's the magnetic capacity of the heart. And so how do we open our hearts? And part of opening our hearts is also the more we open our hearts, the more we feel the pain, the more we have to feel what's really going on. And, and I truly believe that human beings, our capacity in our hearts to hold pain is also a capacity to heal it, right? Our ability to cry, watch my children and you see it with your children and they transmute that energy and they move forward. And right. maybe we all just need to cry and mm-hmm. feel what the fuck we're doing. And as we do that and really get honest with ourselves, we move forward in a much more beautiful way. Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is Where Hope Grows. Hey, everyone. This is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Welcome home, back to another warm embrace from the life-perpetuating organism that we call Where Hope Grows. Today's episode is one of those special ones where you sit back and take in a profound perspective from someone who is shattering the reality of industry and reimagining a more beautiful and life-oriented path forward. My guest today is Aras Baskowskis, who, alongside his wife, founded Christy Dawn, the modern world's first regenerative clothing company. Through their farm-to-closet initiative, Christy Dawn now stewards over 120 acres of farmland and has sequestered over 2 million pounds of atmospheric carbon through regenerative practices. Christy and Aras view their clothing as a Trojan horse, offering the unique opportunity to shift consciousness and subsequently the world through the life force woven into each piece of fabric. In this episode, we're going to hear about the wild story, the creation myth of Christy Dawn, how it evolved over time to land in its most current state of a living being organism. We're going to hear about the hardships, the triumphs, the challenges with creating, inventing a new supply chain of regenerative organic cotton. And then we're going to check in with Aris and talk about the current affairs of the regenerative evolution and what that means for the collective whole as well as our individual self. And without further delay, here is Aris. I am uh, I'm wearing one of my favorite shirts. It's a Christy Dawn shirt. Um, dude, I mean, you got Mother, Mother Moon, Mr. Sun, Black Hole. I mean, Constellations, Venus is on here. I just... Love everything that comes out of your mind as an expressive force that just is always pushing the boundaries of creativity and what is possible and using business as this incredible catalyst for driving meaningful change. So much love, much respect. Uh, I'm just so 
honored. Thank you for doing this with me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I, I, I the, uh, the admiration goes both ways. Um, well, the work that you're doing is really beautiful and, um, being, being there with you, what was it? April last year. Yes, sir. That was amazing, man. Hearing those speakers and just being in that energy and seeing how many people really, really are interested in making change with so, so much hope, you know, so much. See, there's, there's a, there's a large contingency of human beings on this planet that want to see, want to see it heal is beautiful. Yeah. We, we have arrived at a really critical tipping point and, uh, we're all here, I think by intention and, and, and purpose. And I, um, I would go too far as say, I want to offend you here. Cause last time I said this, I offended somebody, but I would say like, um, force of nature is like the, the meat brother to the Christy Dawn, uh, fashion fiber sister. Yeah. Like you guys, you guys are doing it, man. Like as far as two separate industries, but we're both growing food and growing fashion. And so that's yeah. really what I'm excited to talk to you about today. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it too. Um, so I can't wait for your questions. I could, I could dive in without questions, but I'll wait for you. Well, we're going to, um, we're going to talk about like get a foundation to, to start. And then, uh, as this goes along and progresses, I know it's just going to get weirder and weirder. And I'm more excited about that part. But just to lay like that, uh, like at the soil level in your journey, um, let's just like back up. And for people who don't really have like any kind of transparency or any idea, any relationship or connection to the fashion industry, can you just kind of like broadly um, examine it in a conventional setting through like yeah. the environmental impact? Yeah. Um, you know, fashion as an industry is the second largest polluter on the planet. Um, from the way the fibers are, are grown or mined or um, uh, processed, you know, just, just cotton alone, 25% uh, of the world's insecticides are used on cotton. So to, to, just to breathe that in for a second. Um, and obviously, much like food, where you have fast food, we have fast fashion. And, um, you know, uh, extraction is, is woven into the fabric that we put on our bodies as is, as is exploitation, right? So you have, you have a, if you st strictly look at the land, you can see that the land is being extracted in a really, really kind of mindless way. But then the people that are, that are tasked with, with putting the garments together are also being exploited. Um, and so in general, the fashion industry is, is, is very exploitative and it's, it's, um, it's got a massive negative footprint, right? It's, it's really hurting the planet. Um, and, uh, and, and so when we started Christy Dawn, if I can just jump into that, you know, I'll, I'll share with you that when we started Christy Dawn, I was broke, right? I, I just wanted to make rent and my wife wanted to make beautiful dresses. Now my whole life, I've always loved the earth, but I've never been to a Greenpeace rally. Um, I've never been an environmentalist. Uh, starting Christy Dawn, my goal was to make rent. I was not aware of the impact that fashion had on the planet, not aware of any of those things. Um, but but uh, I, I was very much just interested in, in making rent, if that makes sense. And when we started Christy Dawn, we didn't have enough money to go to... Let me back up, back to the story. So the way that fashion works, so in general, right? is it's very disconnected. 
And I think it's the same with food systems is we have these things called supply chains and supply chains innately are bleached of relationship, both human and non-human, right? So if I'm a brand and I need fabric, I don't go to the farmer and say, hey, can you grow me some cotton? Absolutely not. That's not how it works. I go to a fabric supplier who has a relationship with the mill, who has a relationship with the 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 spinner the ginner who then has a relationship with the farmer who then has a relationship with the land right there's a lot of steps in between so if i want to go to a fabric supplier and i want to order 500,000 yards of fabric the only information that i care about as a brand is the cost per yard that's it $3 a yard $3.25 a yard that's it i don't know where that cotton is grown even if it's organic i don't have a relationship with that cotton so I don't know who got extracted. I don't know, you know what, what land got extracted or what people got exploited. And whether that's intentional or not, what that allows brands to do is it allows everyone to sleep at night. It's willful ignorance, right? And that's the way it works. So there's no relationship with anything happening. So I can, on the one hand, I could go to a Greenpeace rally and I could go to the fabric supplier and order the fabric and sleep well at night and have this massive disconnection. And whether it's intentional or not, these supply chains have bleached relationships. And so we don't know what's happening any further than the person that we might order the fabric from. That's generally how it works. Does that make sense? That's wild. Yeah. And um, in this like industrial setting where the relationships have been severed, I'm sure you've stepped foot. We'll talk about it in a minute, but like on a organic regenerative cotton field versus a degenerative industrial field, if that degenerative field could speak, if it could articulate how it felt, how would it express itself? What would it say? It would cry. It would cry. And, and if you, if it, I, let's just get weird. I've talked to the water before. I believe it. And the water cries. It hurts. There's sadness. There's deep sadness, right? There's a spirit in the water. People are turning the podcast off right now hearing this. Turning it up, buddy. <laughs> but but all, all beings, whether it's a, a rock, a human, water, they all have a spirit. And the spirit of the water and the spirit of the soil and the spirit of each plant, the, they're being desecrated, right? And, and, and the only people that really feel it right now from, from a Western perspective are the farmers, right? And you know this very well, but agrarian cultures all over the world are shrinking and suicide rates amongst farmers around the world are massive, right? Because the only people that feel the weight of what's going on are the farmers, right? If, if, it's, if it's a commoditized thing, the only one taking the risk is the farmer. If there's a drought, it's the farmer that feels it. If there's a flood, the farmer feels it. If there's a blight, the farmer feels it. The brand never feels it. And if we don't feel it, it's very unlikely we're going to say something needs to change, right? And so the last ones to really feel it are the brands, right? And so, yeah, we can say the climate's changing. Wow, it's, it's snowing in June. That's strange. But really, we can still find cotton. Because somewhere there's not a drought and somewhere there's not a blight and somewhere there's not a, there's not a, a flood. Um, and so it's really disconnected, right? It's really, really disconnected. And just as an example, I'll share with you. I have a friend 
who has a conventional company, right? And, and they make basics. And his company is profitable to the tune of like $30 million a year of profit. And on the surface, in our culture, he's a hero. He represents exactly what everybody wants. But if you dissect it, you say, wow, conventionally grown cotton, if it's cotton, some of it's not, some of it's polyester, which is even worse, right? Extractive processes to grow that or to, 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 you know, to, to pull out the, 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 the resources, exploitative ways of having its own. But he makes, his company makes $30 million on the back of exploitation extraction. And he's a hero. The heroes of our culture, of industry. And I'm not guilting or shaming him. But what we celebrate in our culture is effectively slavery and extraction. And that's normal. That is what we are all pushed in this culture to go do, right? And, and so we have to understand that it's, it's culturally we're sick. Culturally, this disconnection has led to an incredible sickness. And unfortunately, there is a consequence to that. And slowly but surely, we're seeing it across the world, right? It's not just environmental, but it is environmental. It's, it's social. It's, it's, it's economic. There are massive consequences. They just take a little bit longer, right? The day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. And that fruit that's coming and that has come for many people already is very bitter. You know, I'm just feeling this deeply at a, a cellular level. And I just even feel like, um, like there is some expression or on some spectrum plants have a sentience to them. And as we talk about um, how you would explain the land crying, I just feel like the plants that are grown in those artificial environments with, with toxins, with slave labor um, that are void of life, the energetic frequency of that industrial fiber, I mean, it's something that we consume. We talk about the food we consume, the water we consume, the information we consume. But I mean, we're covering our largest organ of our body yeah. with a frequency that is yeah. sick. Yeah. And so energetically, I just feel like how we walk through the world and what we wear matters. And to up you on the weird scale, um, and I mean this with all my heart, uh, when I wear my Christy Dawn uh, clothes, which you guys are primarily a female brand, um, but the male items that I have, they're like a Faraday cage, like the coherence of the energy within them makes me feel so good. And I tend to select those clothing items on days where I need a little boost, where I just like need, like I'm almost as an antenna to better connect with my surrounding and present myself as my best possible form. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. You know, it's like, I, I had a bunch of Loyola Marymount Business School students in last week. They're, they're, uh, they're doing a little project on Christy Dawn. And I asked them at the start, I said, how many of you guys woke up this morning and drank water? And, and 90% of them said, that's what I did. Some had coffee, but some had water. And I said, of those people that drank water, how many people drank tap water? Now, tap water in Los Angeles is terrible. <laughs> no one drank tap water. And I asked them why they didn't drink tap water. And they said, well, there's chemicals. It's bad, bad for your body. I said, okay, it's bad for your body. Okay. I said to them, how many of you guys put on some kind of face lotion, some kind of cream? Obviously it was less people, but there was, it was, a, and I said, and how many of you guys wanted to make sure that was organic? And 90% of the people that put on some kind of cream on their face was like, I want it organic. And I asked them why. 
And they said, well, there's chemicals and the non-organic stuff and it's bad for my skin. So then I asked them, I said, how many of you guys woke up this morning and said, I better put on organic clothing on my skin? And none of them raised their hand. But just as an exercise, I asked them, and of the zero people that said, I need to put organic cloth on my skin, how many of you said it needed to be regenerative? And zero of the zero said it needed to be regenerative. And I'm sure we'll get into the story. But can you imagine the insanity of a clothing brand that is barely profitable going out and saying, we're going to start a regenerative cotton farm because no one's knocking on our door asking for it, right? It, the consciousness just isn't there yet of frequencies, which was what, you, what you're talking about. You're talking about the frequency of what it is we're draping our bodies in, right? Yeah. And it's just not there yet, which it, we'll get into the Christy Dawn story a little later, I'm sure. But there's been a lot of lessons for us in that, right? It, it is like, hey, we're doing this and nobody cares. Now, and when I say nobody, there's a few people that care, but, but most people just don't even think about what they're putting on their skin as it relates to clothing. And um, in order to get people to think about that, in order to get people to think about frequency, imagine the shift that it takes to get people to get to that level of consciousness of that subtlety. And so what Christy and I like to say is that the carrot is the beautiful dress, but we're not in the business of making dresses. We're in the business of changing consciousness. So we have this incredible, incredible first mover advantage, incredible competitive advantage that nobody understands is better than what the, that anybody else is offering. And that puts us in a really interesting position that requires creative thinking. And sometimes, right, there's that, there's that quote, right? Like, when would the wicked speak like a, the wicked? When would the, um, I don't know, when would the sacred speak like the sacred, right? So oftentimes we're not, when we're sharing our story, we're not sharing it at the highest level. Sometimes it's just like, look at this cute dress. In the, in the totem of how we describe the things we make, regenerative is probably fifth on the list. Absolutely. Right. And so it's, it's like understanding where we are and still having faith that this is the work that we're going to do. Right. Because the work that we're doing, even if Christy Dawn ends up not becoming a massive hit, I trust that the seeds that we've planted will one day blossom, whether it's for, for, for this generation or for the generations to come. Yeah. Just you guys are, you know, the observer observing the phenomena that you're calling in right now. And it's just uh, a sacred calling. And I'm so grateful for that. But like literally through your work, you're, you're envisioning a more virtuous future, more beautiful future that our children will inherit and our grandchildren, if that's the case. But I mean, I just dying to get into like the evolution of how this all came to fruition and how the universe was like the architect putting yeah. you on this path. And like, I just, I, I mean, my wife has been obsessed with Christy Dawn from the beginning. I remember when you guys were doing dead stock and she was yeah. freaking out and tell me about telling me all about it. And you guys were kind of more of a s sustainable brand at that point in time. Tell me like how, like where did the dead stock play come from? And then yeah. how did that evolve? Like you said, skipping organic, but going right into regenerative. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so to, to, to really kind of like I, tell the story, I'll start with me at like 10 years old. Okay. I grew up in Los Angeles by the Marina. There was this place called the Bologna wetlands, which is a wetland 
there's not very many wetlands left in Southern California. It's really important for migratory birds, for, for the biodiversity, right? Um, and and at, when I was 10 years old, the wetlands extended all the way, basically from the arena, all the way to like Westchester. And there was a group of developers that were like, hey, we want to take these wetlands and we want to build, you know, another suburb in L.A., and so I was part of the Save the Bologna Wetlands. I remember I made a little sign. I was on Lincoln Boulevard, Save the Bologna Wetlands, right? Well, we didn't save the Bologna Wetlands. They got paved over and the Playa Vista development got yeah, put over that. And as it got paved over, I kind of felt in hindsight, like my, op, my, my idealism got paved over as well. And so I went through my teenage years, right? I liked to play basketball. I was in school. I got a college scholarship. I was focusing on that. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. That didn't pan out. I went on Survivor. I won a million dollars on Survivor. How did I win Survivor? I lied. I steal. I cheated, right? So my kind of idea of like, how do I survive in this world and make everything work was, was certainly not through helping other people. It was just like you kind of take care of yourself and, 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 and do whatever, whatever, whatever means necessary. So five years after winning Survivor, a million dollars, I'm in $50,000 debt. Okay. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was the one that was paying rent. She was modeling. And I had this hat company that I kind of inherited and I cut my teeth. We did a lot of really fun, cool things. But at the end of the day, I hated the hats that we were making. There were these Russian furry hats. And I sold the company just for the cost of inventory. I was man managed to get out of debt, but I didn't have anything else going, right? I was 30 years old, 32 years old with nothing, right? And Christy, my wife at the girlfriend's time said, I want to start a, a dress company. And she had been modeling for different brands. So she kind of had some kind of experience. And I had this experience of starting a company and failing. So at least I knew what not to do, right? And I said, all right, let's start. And, you know, we talked about what was important for us. And for Christy, it was making something she really believed in. So her task was make things you love. But now we had to figure out how we were going to make them. So I watched the way that she used Instagram. And I was like, wow, this Instagram thing is a real it's a real way to like tell a story, but we didn't have any money. We put a, we put a little bit of money aside to start this thing. And when I say a little, it wasn't very much. It was $20,000. So we couldn't just go to a fabric provider and say, Hey, we want to order fabric because the minimums were 2000 yards per print or a thousand yards per print. We didn't have the customers to do that. And we didn't have the capital to invest. So the only choice for us financially was to go use dead stock fabric, which for those of you who don't know, dead stock is simply the excess fabric that other brands have that brands typically it costs a whole lot less to carry more raw goods than it does to miss opportunities. And so after the season's over, they're usually left with a couple hundred yards, sometimes a thousand yards of extra fabric. And there's these dead stock aggregators. And currently I'm sitting in a room that's on San Pedro and a mile down San Pedro, there's a dead stock aggregator called rag finders. And it's four stories high pallet after pallet of different fabrics. So we go to rag finders. We don't have very much money and we buy 20 yards of this and 50 yards of that, 30 yards of this. And we make our first collection of dresses. I think it was a total of 60 units that we made, right? Across six styles. And like any half-assed marketer, we tell the story of Deadstock, which the story of Deadstock is that it's not part of the problem, 
right? We're not adding to the, to the negative footprint of fashion. Right. And so people really love Christie's dresses, but they also resonate with this and we called it sustainable. And maybe that's arguably not sustainable or whatever, but people resonated with the story. Like it felt really good for people to buy a beautiful dress that wasn't part of the problem as well. And it felt really good for us. And for the first time, it was like a little bit of water got through that paved Playa Vista thing. It made it down to that seed for me. And for five years, we chased that high. We built Christy Dawn just by using dead stock fabrics. And after five years, we had an investor come and say, hey, we want it. We want in. And at the time, we were paying ourselves just enough to make rent, literally just enough. We lived in a thousand square foot place. It was three adults, me, my wife, and a friend, and our two children. And we just kept putting it back in. And this investor came and said, hey, we'll take half the company. We could buy our own house. Now we're getting a proper salary, both of us. And we're like, whoa, we're flush. So with that space that that allows, I kind of doubled down on my own spiritual practice. I'm studying with, with a, a, um, a teacher down in the Colombian Amazon. His name's Taito Anito. He carries a medicine called Yahe. And you go into ceremony with this Yahe. It's a visionary plant. And I kept going to the Yahe and I said, said to, to, to the medicine, I would say like, hey, show me, I have this, you know, consumer facing company. The planet is being destroyed. How is this part of the, part of the, how am I helping, right? Like the, the dopamine kick of not being part of the problem had worn off. What's, how do, how can I be part of a solution? And to your question, the first thing the medicine showed me was how the water felt. And I remember that night was terrible. I cried and I cried and I cried, but then it kept showing me and the family on a farm. And I was like, what is this? At the same time, Finney and Makepeace, we used to play music together and he started Kiss the Ground. So he's posting on Facebook about regenerative agriculture and about soil health. And I'm kind of paying attention to it, but I'm not really like in on it. I'm still trying to you know, figure out the game that I'm playing. And one morning I, I, I wake up from, from a ceremony. I said, oh my God, the vision's there. We're going to start our own regenerative farm. We're not just going to grow clothes in a way that doesn't hurt. We're going to grow this. We're going to grow these pieces in a way that heals and not just grow them. We're going to have them made in a way that heals. We're going to have them dyed in a way that heals. So I come back and I tell my wife, here's the idea. We're, we're going to start a regenerative cotton farm. We're going to call it farm to closet. And she's like, all right, cool. I like the idea, but good luck with that. Because remember, our business model was go a mile down the road, go to rag finders. We pay net 60 after we get it. By the time we have to pay for it, we've already sold the dresses, right? <laughs> I've never had a farm. I grew carrots, you know, like when I was seven, but I don't know much about farming. We have a little vegetable garden in our backyard. So I, so I, but I have this vision and it's very clear that this needs to happen. So I Google regenerative cotton. This is four and a half years ago at this point and nothing comes up for me. So I Google ethically grown cotton as like an kind of ancillary. And I find this NGO called the Responsible Sourcing Network. I give them a call. I say, hey, my name's Otis. We want to start this regenerative cotton farm. Can you help? They're like, sorry, we only deal in the ethical treatment of farm workers, but we're losing a little bit of funding. And we've just hired this kick-ass woman fresh out of college. We can't keep her. Maybe you want to interview for her. Her name's Maren Wilson. She comes down. We have a meeting and I tell Maren the vision. And we both feel like India makes the most sense for many reasons. 
not just because we can grow the cotton regeneratively there, but because we can also dye it with vegetables because there's all these ancestral systems that are there already that we don't have to reinvent. Now, maybe they're not common, but we can find them. So Marin says, I love it. Let's do it. So she calls Rebecca Burgess from Fibershed. And I'm sure many of you know what Fibershed is, but um, she calls Rebecca and she says, hey, we're, I'm with Christy Dawn. We want to start a regenerative cotton farm in India. Can you help? And Rebecca says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't have any relationships or contacts with anyone in India. Four hours later, a man in Erode, India, his father owns a conventional textile company, is listening to the podcast that Rebecca had recorded months before. And he loves what Rebecca has to say. And so he guesses her email address and he says, hello, my name is Nishan. I want to start an organic farm, but I don't have the funds to start it. I need a brand to partner with. Can you help? The needle in the haystack. Rebecca puts us together and we say, hey, Nish, organic's cool. What about regenerative? He goes, what's that? I said, well, let's discover it together. It's land specific. None of us has started a regenerative farm before. Marin had worked on one and he loves it. We love it. And so the, the deal is this, Christy Dawn is going to put all the money in for leasing the land, for paying the farmers, and we're going to receive all of the yield, but we're not paying for yield, we're paying for process. And Nishant's going to manage it with the assumption that his, his company that he's starting will take those fibers and then turn them into fabrics. So we start, we find four acres of land. It's depleted land. It's not even dead land because if it was dead land, if there's death, there can be life. It's devoid of life and death. It's been farmed conventionally for 40 years. So we start with that land and everyone around us is like, you're never going to grow anything on this land, right? There's no way. And cover crops, what the hell are you going to do? What, what's that? You know, like this is a kind of alien to all of it. Now, What's really fascinating is just on this specific land, and I think this is really important, and I know you know this, but there's no regenerative practices, there's regenerative principles, right? So a land that is devoid of life and death needs to be plowed, but you would never plow organically grown land, right? You would never, you would never disturb the mycelia network on really healthy soil. But this land needed to be plowed, and we had to introduce compost. We had to, we had to give it a shot first, right? So we, we land specifically, we take care of this land and we start and we have projections like worst case scenario, kind of what we expect and best case. I go out and I visit the land. I had long beard, longer hair. I shave my head. I shave my beard. I bring a little bit of, of smudge. I bring a, a couple coins. I, I do a little ceremony myself with that land. I, I bury my hair into the soil. I say, thank you to the land, ask permission. And, and really the prayer is like, what do you need? We'll take care of you with the trust that if we take care of the land and those, take, those, those who take care of the land, she'll take care of us. So I come back three months later, it's time to harvest. And it's clear that our harvest is going to be better than a best case scenario, right? And so I ask, I ask Kupasami and Eshwari, they're married. They've been married 50 years. They've been caretaking this land. I ask Eshwari, I say, Eshwari, tell me, this way of, of, of practicing with the land, have you noticed any differences? And she says, well, first of all, it's not as hot anymore because all those chemicals create more heat. It's already very hot, right? She says, I don't have sores on my arms and my legs walking through the fields. And she says, as far as the land, you don't have to ask me if the land is happy. Look around. The dragonflies have returned. The earthworms are back. Of course, the land is happy. 
And for me, that was enough. It was like a storybook telling, right? Another cool little story about it. When I go the second time, we bring a film crew to kind of document what we're doing. And the camera operator, we take him to a conventional dye house just so we can kind of show the, the differences because we're using a... a we're using a vegetable dye house, but he goes to the conventional dye house. He sprains his knee. He can't walk. Eshwari notices he's not there. We're there for a week. So one day we show up, he's not there. Where is he? We say, oh, he hurt his knee. He can't walk. She says, bring him to me. So he comes to Eshwari. Eshwari puts this, this, this oil on his knee. She gives him a massage. This oil has been infused with herbs from the farm. She says, get up and walk. He described it as like the most painful 20 minute massage he's ever had, but he gets up and he walks. <clears throat> let's take a step back. Eshwari's son, Selvam, had to move to Kerala because there was no work there for him anymore. Because of these death spirals these farmers are in, they can't stay. So Selvam's children can't live with grandmother. And this wisdom, this ancestral wisdom of how to care for the body using plants that Eshwari holds is not going to go to the grandchildren because Selvam has to leave. So because of the farm, Selvam's moved back. The grandkids are there. And this wisdom, this ancient wisdom of how to deal with health in a non-traditional Western way carries on because the generations get to, get to learn from the grandmother and share it with the the children and the grandchildren. So when we talk about regeneration, we're not just talking about the regeneration of the soil. We're talking about the regeneration of, of culture, of wisdom, right? We're talking about how do we have healthy relationships with the earth if we have no relationship with the plants and their healing capacities, right? And so that all happened on that farm, which was beautiful, right? It was so beautiful. But then COVID hits right when we leave. So we've harvested these first four acres. It's more than we think, but we're not going to be able to go to market because COVID, everything shut down. So we double down. We expand from four acres to 20 acres. Now, the first four acres getting people to work, even though we promised everyone three times the average pay for a farmer was very hard. By the time we get to the 20 acres, farmers are lining up. I want to work for you guys. This sounds great. So now we have 24 acres. And in April of 2021, we come to market with the first of its kind regenerative clothing collection. And we're so excited. Oh my God, we didn't seek an answer to the, the world's second largest polluting industry. I just <laughs> wanted to make, right? Christy wanted to make beautiful dresses. And all of a sudden, we have this chance to make a difference. For sure, the world's going to listen, right? We had this vision. Spirit gave us this vision. It fed the sales. It found the needle in the haystack force. It put it all together. Of course, this is going to work, right? Of course. And we released the collection. And outside of our small community of Christy Dawn fans, no one cares. And for the last, not for the last, but for three years following that, the company lost millions and millions of dollars. Even though it, we figured out this solution, the hardest solution theoretically to making this thing work, the company was dying. And in February of last year, our investors who were stayed with us in, in such solidarity, they said, we can't keep doing this. We're out. We're out. We can't keep doing it. You guys are, you know, like if you want to be a, a, a regenerative company, you're not even sustainable internally. We can't keep feeding you. You're bleeding money. And it was devastating. And I had a real bone to pick with God. 
how could you give me this vision? And you put wind in my sails and you put me all the way halfway across the ocean and the wind died. There's nothing left. Now I'm just here. Right. And it brought even deeper kind of spiritual quandary and, and, and questions for me. And I was really, really sad. And I was really upset, obviously. And the lesson that was being thrust upon me is it's not just the day you plant the seed is, is, the, is not the day you eat the fruit, but it's when you plant the seed, you have to let go of any idea that you'll receive any of the fruit. And you have to be okay, or I was asked to be okay with the idea that this seed that I planted might never fruit for me. And it required the deepest level of surrender of why am I doing this? Because if I'm doing it just for the fruit, then that's a trade. And what's being asked of all of us right now is not to trade, but to be in service. And the truth of the matter is, is what kind of, you know, the vision that brought me into this place was beautiful, but it was also a bit of a trade. And now it was like, no, man, this has to be of service. So February comes, we have that news. Early March, we cut two thirds of our team. We got two months left of runway. We're going to go out of business. We have these really hard conversations with our team. Sorry, we can't keep you. We get home. Christy says to me, we can finally relax. In March of last year, there were lots of rains in LA. Our house is in a canyon. There's a hillside behind it. Right after she says we can finally relax, she says, what's that sound? We look out the back window. A tree is falling. Hits our house. Sparks a mudslide. We evacuate. We get our children out of the house. We go sleep on my brother's couch. I come the next morning. We had just built this deck with a guest room in the back on the hillside. Everything has come down. I call the, the landscaper. I call insurance and I go into my meditation room to meditate. And my cat has locked himself in the meditation room and shit and pissed all over my meditation cushion. And I go into a ball and I cry and I cry and I cry. And finally I surrender okay, you show me. And in an unbelievable turn of events from that day to now, the company which didn't have a profitable month for three years has been profitable since that point. And why and how, I can't explain it. I can't tell you what we did to make it. But all of a sudden, we're not burning money anymore. And, and, and it looks like we got a little bit more life. But I share that story with you to share the story of sometimes there's this myth that, hey, like, if you do the right thing, you'll be taken care of. And, and I believe that to be true. But sometimes we think we'll be taken care of means we'll have the nice house or we'll have the profitable business. But oftentimes being taken care of doesn't look the way we think it looks, right? And if we really, really believe in our evolution, we have to trust that it's not a straight line but to continue to act and to, 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 to behave in ways that add to, the, to the, the, the beneficial outcomes of humankind, even if we don't receive that benefit. <clears throat> so that's the story. I love it. And we're sitting today and today we're sitting there. I don't know if next year, Christy Don will be in business. I know, that we, I know that we're doing better than we were, right? There's still a ton of hurdles ahead of us. I want to take a quick break here to give gratitude to the sponsor of this podcast, Force of Nature. They're the life-sustaining source of energy that supports these conversations. 
Force of Nature sells the best meat on the planet for the planet and ships that life-affirming regenerative meat to the lower 48. God bless the USA. Force of Nature has offered a super generous discount code to listeners of this podcast. So head over to forceofnature.com. And when you check out, type in WHG15 to get a whopping 15% off of your online order and have that regenerative meat that will nourish your body, nourish the land, nourish communities, all this amazing symbiotic work in the architecture of nature, have it delivered to your door. It can't get any more convenient than that. So that's forceofnature.com. Check out code WHG15. Enjoy, my friends. When we think about regeneration, if we think just about the soil, we miss it. And that we all get to be regenerated. And that's that sweater that I sent you. You're not wearing it today. But on the back, it, it. Says, it says, we are. We the are the regeneration. It's us. Sure. It's exactly. us. And it's in us. And, and, and in order to really embody that, it requires faith. It requires a deep faith, a faith in the interconnectedness of all beings and our innate connection as the answer, right? Yeah. I think you guys are so thoughtful with your words and messaging. And yeah, that we are the regeneration. For me, it's just, uh, it's a good reminder that it's not going to be like these global elites that are going to come save us. It's not going to be technocrats, billionaires, world governments. It's going to be you and me and our families and the people that we're blessed to work with together in our businesses um, with hearts that are in alignment. Those are the people that are going to shift consciousness. Um, and if we decide to save the world, or we decide to lay a foundation to where the world can function in a more virtuous, co-creative manner, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you too, like just a uh, funny story aside, we, we just were, when you were on your recent trip, me and my family went on a trip and our cats, two cats, I like how you say your cats locked themselves in your meditation room, buddy, you, someone did, I don't think the cats could like close the door and hit the lock. So let's get real. Someone, uh, someone in your family did it just like I accidentally locked my cats in, uh, my sacred space, which is like my sauna, uh, area. And they were in there for seven days. I don't know how they survived, but when I came back home, shit and piss was everywhere. <laughs> I mean, my heart sank just like yours. Like, dude, this is my sacred space. And now it has been soiled. Um, but more than anything, like just this amazing journey and this, uh, this like this trajectory and all like the, the bouncing around, like these messages from the universe, you've gotten the, one of the underlying themes, even from when you were like, thought you were going to be a professional basketball player to winning sur sur survivor. And then like all these other iterations of your journey, hats, Christy Dawn, be version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. It's like, there's been a cycle, which those cycles exist in nature. You touched on it, but it's like birth, which is ideation, life, which is creation, and then death, and then some kind of decay, but not being so devastated by the death, but recognizing that through decay, something greater can be reborn. There's a lesson, there's an underlying yes. um, vision, which, which we could build upon. So I just really admire you guys um, and your capacity to be as resilient as Mother Nature is. 
which her, her capacity for healing and golly, for, for forgiving our, our greatest sins. I mean, that, that's just sacred. It's, uh, I mean, that's something that gives me an abundance of hope. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's that, it's that really not just embracing the flow, but embracing the ebb and recognizing those cycles, life and death and rebirth. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just curious, like from, from my own point, cause you guys are inventing the wheel creating as you go, iterating as nature does. Um, when you decide to start implementing some of these regenerative practices, like, you know, you, you're not a farmer, you're not a, a rancher. How do you guys, where did you guys look as a foundation for some technical skills or like some principles? What principles did you guys follow or advocate for in the restoration of that landscape in India? Yeah. I mean, so Marin had some experience with regenerative farms. She'd been on them before. Um, and that was the extent of it. Right. Um, I got it. Like if I had a hat on, I'd take it off to our partner in, 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 in India, Nishant, um, because he, he's such, such a, you know, passionate researcher and really like finding solutions. And so, you know, uh, I, I would say we probably had a hundred zoom calls over that first first season of like, Hey, like what's an appropriate cover crop for this land. Right. <laughs> and right. like our first season with the cover crop was, was a total failure. You know, it's like we had drip irrigation for the cotton and then like, wait, how are we going to, we forgot, like, how are we going to water the cover crop? Right. Like there was yeah. all sorts of failures and discoveries. Um, but we, we leaned on Finian a bit, you know, we reached out to Finian, Hey man, can you give us some help here and there? Um, and, uh, and a lot of it was just, was, was, um, you know, uh, what, what's the word, um, when you, when you try something and, and you fail and you try something else, what's the, there's a phrase for that. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm not being so eloquent in this moment. Um, but anyways, it was, it was just like, try something, see if it works. If it doesn't work, try something else. Um, and there was a lot of research that was done too. Um, and, and it's, and, and it's gotten, and, and what I love about regenerative systems is that they're constantly evolving, right? So first season, yeah, we struggle with cover crop, but that doesn't mean it was a failure. No, now we're building, we're building on that. We're learning, we're learning. Okay. Hey, this cover crop doesn't work so well. This one does, you know, and now, now we're, we're, gosh, what season are we in? I mean, that was four years ago that we started. So we're eight seasons in because we don't plant the same land two times in a row. We let the land go fallow for half the year with cotton, but we have multiple pieces of land that we work with. And now the way that the system works is we don't even lease the land. Now farmers who own land are saying, hey, come do it on my land, right? Which is amazing. Um, yeah, so that's, that's nice. Really, it's really cool. I mean, it's really it's beautiful. grassroots. And what's even really, you know, what's even rad, or maybe it's not rad for Christy Dawn is that like, it's not, Christy Dawn does not hold the, the patent for this. Any brand that wants to reach out and, and be part of this, and I'm happy to supply this, it can reach out to Nishant, shoot him an email and just say, hey, we want to steward five acres. We want to be responsible for five acres and want to do this. Now, I will share something that's pretty interesting. And, and, and when we had to let go of a lot of our team, we had to let go of Marin. And Marin was excited because she was like, great, you know, we've got it all set up. The system's set up now. She can go out and freelance and work with other brands and help them do this. And it's, it's already been done. It's literally plug and play. And so all it really requires is someone who knows the people, which is Marin, 
And she thought, okay, cool. I'll go, I'll go, you know, freelance for a bunch of other brands. And, um, to our great dismay is like when Marin went out, she met with a lot of brands and very few brands, very few brands were willing to do this, even though it's already been proven out. And here's why, for example, we're taking 40 acres this next season. So those 40 acres we're paying for now. The cost for us, it's not even that much. It's $2,000 an acre to cover everything, right? So it's $80,000 today that we have to pay. Now that cotton that we're, that we're planting today, we're going to see that winter of 2024, right? So it's basically 12 months out before wow. we're going to see that product come, come to market. Most brands, most companies, they're not willing to take that capital and invest it a year before without seeing anything back. The cost of the capital is too much and the risk is too much. And most people working, even as the sustainability directors, they don't have the power to say, hey, let's go ahead and invest this money now to see it later. So what's, what's kind of disheartening is that brands, it's already been laid out. You can do it. Most brands are afraid to do it still because that's just not the business model, right? Um, and there's a cost to capital and all of those things. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and I, I know you see this too, but like, I, I say this and I mean this, we can farm every square inch of farmland in the world regeneratively. But if we don't shift our consciousness, we will figure out ways to extract and exploit. Right. Of course, it would be nicer if we farmed every square inch of farmland regeneratively. But if there's not the why, if it's just so we can say we're offering it regeneratively so we can put a label on it and we don't shift our consciousness and recognize our interconnectedness, we're going to keep figuring out ways to do the same extractive exploitative practices in different ways. And so that's the key. Really, the business that you're in and the business that I'm in on the surface, you're in the business of food but you're in the business of shifting consciousness. And when people come out to the farm and they visit, they have a spiritual experience. I know that because I went to the farm and visited and it is a spiritual experience. There's nothing like hearing those bison moving from field to field and hearing those hooves, right? It's like, holy potato bugs. This is <laughs> an incredible thing, right? And when we realize that, that we're part of it, and that it, we're not disconnected. You know, I think one of the, one of my, one, one of the things that I think is really hard for me is that these environmental movements of the seventies, they told the story of humans as cancer, right? Yeah, humans. Yeah. Are the problem. Right. And you read braiding sweetgrass and you read that story where Robin Wall Kimmerer had the PhD candidate and she wanted to study the declining populations of sweetgrass. So she sets up the control where nothing gets harvested. She sets up the one field where it gets harvested by pulling it at the root and the third where it gets harvested by cutting it at the base. And after two years, she discovers that the two fields where the sweetgrass is harvested, the populations are great. doesn't matter the way that it's harvested, but the control where it's not harvested, the population is declining. And what does it say? It says, no, we're not cancers. We're a keystone species. We have to shed our extractive ways, but we're not the problem. It's our ways that are the problem. And if I have a rental car and I see a speed bump, I don't really slow down that much. I'm giving the car back in three days. But if I own the car, I slow down. And if we don't see ourselves as indigenous to this planet, as part of this planet, 
if we see ourselves as separate, if we continue to carry the guilt and the shame of being here around, then we're never going to get to solution. We have to see ourselves as part of it, not separate from it, right? A part of, not apart from. For sure. This whole idea of humans as being a cancer or a parasite, we, I would argue that we also perceive business or capitalism as inherently being destructive. But what we're talking about here, what Christy Dawn is doing, what force of nature is doing is we're using the very tools of the ideas, the, some of the principles, the best parts of free market enterprise. And um, we're iterating as we go, but it's not the business that's inherently destructive. It's sometimes the ideas, the people, the intentions or the consciousness that creates mass devastation. And like you said, we've normalized that. We celebrate it. These are the heroes of the industry. Um, but I look forward to like the day where, you know, you're sitting in a boardroom and your investors or your shareholders are not asking about EBITDA or revenue, but it's like, how many tons of carbon did you sequester? Or like, that's right. What's the update with the bald eagle population. Um, that's right. That's I right. Mean, that, that is when we will have fucking arrived when we celebrate, yeah. when we celebrate that. Because when you take care of the little things in many circumstances, the big things take care of themselves. So it's like, the little things, the insects, the water cycle, the carbon, yeah. biodiversity. I mean, like if we support that and build a foundation, we could just continue to build and evolve and consciousness shifts and change. So I'm right there with you. I also just, I'm so grateful that we've had the same experience in our, our business where you just like hit these moments where it just feels like you're slamming into a wall and there's this stopping point. And I think the greatest fear is like, uh, you quit and you never knew how close you were to just getting through that, that hurdle or smashing through that wall and the bigger part, you know, like this bigger vision of changing, shifting consciousness, changing supply chains, changing how business operates. Like you were so close to realizing the full potential. And yeah. so thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not losing hope. Yeah. Yeah, of course, man. And and thank you for doing what you do. Because when I came to the farm last year, it was such a, it was, it was inspiring. You know, I didn't share with you what was going on with us at that time. I was thinking that I was thinking like, oh my God, this was like fresh in your mind and you were yeah. able to bear that burden. And I mean, there's probably something to that. I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it now and, and possibly it wasn't the right situation, but we just need to be more open with each other and supportive of each other because we all have those experiences. And it's not like, yeah. I would never want anyone to feel like they're a failure or they're not reaching yeah. their potential or fulfilling their destiny. But it's like, this is fucking life. It's okay. Yeah. We're resilient. Encourage each other, build each other up, share those stories. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's like, I, I feel like for you, Taylor, like the, the song that's in your heart is so beautiful. And all you can do is sing your song right? You don't get to decide who it impacts or how far it spreads, but all you can do is sing your song and hope that by singing your song, you inspire others to sing theirs because there's room for all of us and we all need to sing our song, right? And when our song stops and we can't go any further, it's not a failure. It's, we have to trust that we sang our song the best we could sing it. And maybe somebody else heard it. And just that little bit inspired them and trust that it's more than just us. One, one of the big things about diving into this, this whole experiment or this, this discovery is really 
a discovery of surrender, right? A deep discovery of surrender, of trusting that the system, the entire system, this interconnected web of life is holding me. And it's not my job to save it or heal it. But as I take steps to healing it, I myself am healed as well. Yeah. How do you handle, okay, like a piece of, um, we talk about this all the time. I feel like our, the industry that we're in and where we are in our positions within these in- industries are very similar. But uh, when people give us the feedback that our meat is too expensive, that's something that we have to address and talk. Um, and so how do you balance or navigate that conversation with consumers who say like, I love your products, but it's too expensive for my budget. How do you, how do you talk through that? Yeah. I mean, one, one, one piece I think is like educating people on like, what does it really cost to make something? You know, if I go to Zara and I find the same dress that we're making, let's just say it's got the same consumption, it's four, four meters for that dress and they're charging $30 costs $12 a yard for us to grow our cotton and have it produced. So if it's four, if it's four yards of consumption already, that's a $48 dress. They're selling it for 30. So what's going into that $30 dress? What are you buying? You're buying slavery. You're buying extraction. The truth is right now, our dresses aren't for everybody. That's the truth. So no shame on someone buying a Zara dress because that's all they can afford. But if I'm buying 10 Zara dresses over the course of the year, maybe I just buy one Christy Dawn dress. Maybe that's the answer, but it's not shaming or guilting, but it's also saying, I can't solve everything. This is the little piece that I can face right now. And of course, I'd love to make it that it's accessible for everyone. But if I don't start somewhere, I can't start anywhere. These, uh, the the clothes that you guys are creating with the intention that you're putting in them. I mean, the way that I, I perceive them is like when my wife wears them, she's absolutely radiantly beautiful. And most of the time we're out on the ranch working literally in sh- getting shit all over our bodies, which is fine. We love that boost the microbiome. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm talking about, you know, um, but like if we ever go anywhere on a date or to a friend's house, it's always like wearing that Christy Dawn dress. I know like my daughter's, watch her and they just see the beauty um radiating that coherence and like for me it's like these clothes they're they're timeless pieces like they're like there's so few things that our children can inherit Mm -hmm. from like a material possession standpoint like maybe like one day i'll give scout my shotgun or something like that and she'll think that's pretty cool or my arrowhead collection um but it's like we just don't really value timeless pieces that hold memories to our hearts and i just feel like it's quality versus quantity, um, which you've already kind of spoken about, like the yield versus the process. And I just, I love that the pieces you're creating are built to last. Um, and it's something that I could see my, my children in when they're in their thirties, like that really warms my heart. And it's just a different perspective. Yeah. And then it's like, too, like you think about it, like, all right, if your wife's wearing this dress, she's imbuing it with a vibration. And then if eventually your daughter receives that dress, she's not just receiving the dress. She's receiving the vibration, just like the shotgun, right? It's we're sharing energy. We're passing it down. I think one of the coolest things, if I could take you into the factory right now, I would, but I can't take this computer there. 
There are 14 dressmakers in our factory right outside this wall. Three of them are wearing Christy Dawn dresses. <laughs> awesome. So let me just, that, that, let me explain what that means. Our dressmakers get paid much better than most dressmakers get paid, but they're still not making a massive amount of money, right? A Christy Dawn dress is an expensive thing. They get 50% off, but even still, that's a lot of money for them, but they wear them and they buy them because they know what's in them because they understand because it's, it's, and to me, when I see them wearing it, I'm like, yes, that's amazing. I promise you, you go into a, the factory where Gucci clothes are made, you ain't seeing anybody wearing Gucci. Now, maybe <laughs> that's a stretch, Gucci is $2,000, but like, it's unlikely that anybody at the, and, and not to throw companies under the bus, but it's unlikely that anybody sewing Reformation dresses is wearing a Reformation dress while they're sewing them right? Because it doesn't matter to them and, or for whatever reason, but like, to me, you know, that's the beauty of it. The, 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 the man who runs our factory, Pedro, his wife, Teresita, I always call her the boss. She's really the boss of the factory. Every time dresses are finished, she takes a rack of dresses when they're done. She sages them and she says a prayer on them. We don't ask her oh, to do wow. But wow. What, what, what I mean, and the reason I share that is to say like, Everybody who is in this company, Christina is not mine. I just happen to be the, the CEO of it. It's ours. Everyone takes so much pride and love in what we do. Everyone is rewarded, not just financially, but energetically for being here. And people love to be here. You know, like that was one of the big things that Christy took away from her modeling days of working with all these brands is just how, not just toxic it is to the environment, but just toxic culturally. And when we started this, we said, we want to make something that we're really proud of. We want to, we want to create a place where we want to come to work, you know, and, 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 and if you could be here, I wish someday Taylor, you're in LA and you come visit, you'll see like, there's a vibe here. And it's because it's a respect for people. It's a respect for humanity. No one works for anybody here. We all work together for the same cause. Each one of us needs to make rent or mortgage, but we treat each other with respect and with dignity. And that that expresses itself in the final product as well, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, just, it's just like taking this whole idea of regeneration to a whole deeper level. And I love that. We, uh, we just, we have our whole Force of Nature team get together once a year where the whole team gets together. Like everyone's flying from all over and we're about 30 people now. And we did our, uh, called a roundup properly. So, uh, we did our roundup last week and, um, you know, we all sat at this dinner table and ate an animal that we had harvested that morning that everyone had an intimate relationship with everyone touched everyone saw it transition into death everyone worked together to prepare the meal and it was just like such a sacred beautiful moment that i was it just felt like i was floating above everyone mm. so so filled spiritually but the what, what the greatest part of this dinner is like this whole team is together as a family and we're after we're done eating um, like going around, you know, 30 people are sharing, like checking in where they are in their life, what's giving them hope, um, why they have arrived, why they're there today. And it's just like, this is the stuff that doesn't exist in business, at least in like the industries that we're in. Um, but I think there is just like so much 
energetically as you're expressing that goes into the final products and consumers. Uh, if you're conscious or aware enough, you absolutely pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think my hope is, you know, in like, cause I'm not a farmer, right? One day I hope to have some land that I can grow and feed my own family with, but is that if regeneration is just limited to the soil that cuts out 99% of our population and I, I regeneration is not limited to that, right? Each one of us, there's a place where we get to be regenerative. And so we study those principles, right? I love, I love those seven principles of regeneration. Um, it's, is it Rodale's seven principles and, 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 and the, the principles that I have in front of me, but there's the, the principle of regeneration as it relates to land, but then there's the principle of rege regeneration as it relates to community and then to the individual. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a place for it to land for all of us. Right. Cause if I live in an apartment in New York, you want me to put a cover crop where, right? Like, but there's yeah. way each of us to do it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the, the biggest invitation is for us all to recognize our connectedness and then where we find ourselves, what's the place for us, you know? Um, and we're, we're making this really cool hoodie right now. And, and on the back, it says widen the embrace. Huh, widen the embrace. And on one side, one sleeve, it says accept all. And another sleeve, it says reject none. And says, if we can't see God in all, we can't see God at all. Right. Mm. And so how do we begin to widen the embrace of this whole show? And as we begin to widen the embrace, bring more grace to things, bring more love to things, bring more humanity, intimacy, and interconnectedness. I, I believe that it gets more beautiful. How, um, sometimes I think kind of on autopilot, I'll refer to this movement that we're experiencing that we're part of as a regenerative revolution. And uh, on this shirt, I mean, you guys are so thoughtful with all the messaging, but on the sleeve, it says regenerative evolution. So leaving out the R and I know there's a intention and a story behind that, but what do you mean by regenerative evolution? Yeah. It's funny because we both had regenerative revolution. We were using regenerative revolution too. In fact, here, let me pull this out real quick. Let's see if I can, this is like one of our first kind of things that we said, it said revolution. Yeah. And I was in a meditation one day. I, in 1991, I was in Lithuania with my father while the Soviet Union was collapsing. It was a revolution. I remember my father took to the streets with the other Lithuanians. We were just visiting, but we, but, but he was there and they had AK-47s. It was a revolution. It was scary. It didn't feel safe. And I, I was meditating on the idea of a revolution, right? And oftentimes in a revolution, people get swept up into a revolution. And then I thought about an evolution and evolution is inevitable and everyone at their own pace, we're all evolving. And when I realized that I thought, no, this is an evolution. We're evolving. And then you just think about what it means to revolve, right? Like a record player, it's a revolving, it's <laughs> up in the same place, but yes. you're going up. So that's, so we shifted it. So we actually had a bunch of hoodies that said regenerative revolution. And we just took like red thread and we X'd out the R. Oh, cool. Like, no, this is an evolution for us. Um, and that's how we got to that. Not to say there's a, I mean, re regenerative revolution has that nice kind of, you know, uh, alliteration, right. Um, where you yeah. just felt like, no, this is an evolution for me. It's an evolution. It's my own evolution. It's our evolution. And, and in evolution, nothing is forced that's, at all. that's exactly right 
You know, and I, I think that's another big thing that, that I'd want to share is that this isn't about, this isn't about judging or shaming or, or saying this is bad. Conventional isn't bad. It's just not working anymore. Right. And you could say it's bad in certain ways, but, but without any pejoratives, without judging it, just saying there's consequences that aren't benefiting everybody. Right. And so if people are, are still in their conventional systems, that's where they are. And oftentimes we evolve through really hard times. And sometimes we evolve through grace, but mm -hmm. evolution is inevitable. And so it's really important for me that I don't judge shame or blame other people for what they're doing. It's of course I have to pay attention and look at it and see if it's working or not working, but that we're not here to, to judge conventional systems. And I right, love, exactly. what, what's the man's name that uh, he has white, white Oak pastures. What's his name? Oh, Will Harris. Oh man. I love hearing him talk, you know, and he talks about his relationship with the neighboring farmers. Right. And there isn't a drop of judgment in, in, in what he shares about. And we have to understand, right. That we all are where we are because we had to do that to survive. Right. Yep. The systems that we use. It's like, you look at, you look at a human being and you look at somebody, an adult that's struggling with something, right. They're struggling with certain structures they've developed. And, and the first step oftentimes in healing it is in embracing those structures that they use to survive, not, not, kicking it out, but embracing it and saying, thank you. I had to do that up to this age to survive. And now I'm ready to move forward. So yes, if, if we don't embrace the whole thing and we make somebody the other, right? We shame somebody. It just becomes performative. Right. And their shift becomes performative because they don't want to be shamed. Right. And we see that all over. We see that with so many of these things that have happened over the last few years, right? Where people have been shamed and behaving a certain way, but they have, they haven't been given the space to actually evolve and they haven't felt the nourishing embrace of the community to really find it for themselves. And, yes. and, and I don't want to be a part of a shaming culture. I want to be a part of, of an uplifting culture that holds people so that they can find their, their roots and, 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 and grow from that. Yes. I mean, I think like, uh, like force is met with force. Um, and there's these equal and opposite reactions. So the energy that you're putting in, whether it be shame or condemning someone, that's not the foundation. That's not like the olive branch of unity. That is the act that further polarizes and further separates us versus you know, everyone coming together. So just hearing you talk about evolution, I knew that was going to be a good story. I'm so glad I asked, <laughs> but just the visual of like revolution. Yeah. Like full circle. When's the next revolution going to happen? What's that going to look like where evolution still a circle, but uh, it's like I this will. upward cyclone. Yeah. yeah. Upward, just like virtuous. And as it revolves, it gets bigger too. Yeah. Uh, and Ever expanding spiral, right. Of, of yeah. generation. So one, um, I, I know you're like a, a massive advocate for establishing being in the right, right relationship, having intimacy, um, with land, with one another, but, um, how would you suggest someone start on that journey and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, again, like to, to kind of pull from, from, from the soil, it's, it's, we, we're always land specific, right? 
So if it's, if it's land that's, that's compacted and dead, maybe we till it, but if it's really healthy soil, we don't. Right. So each person where they are, you know, um, to, for me, and this might sound really controversial, but, um, is prayer is prayer. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be any specific religious connotation, but going into a prayer of asking to be shown, right? Dropping into a silent place and whether it's chanting a divine name or just going into silence and asking to be shown, that's, that's really helpful, right? And, and anytime that we go into silence, oftentimes when we filter out that noise, something clarifies for us. Um, for some people, that might be the answer where meditation or prayer for other people, it might be, hey, this person really inspires me. And they're in the same industry I'm, I'm in, right? Whether they, they have land and, and I'm a farmer and they're a farmer, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm in fashion. Oh, I like what Christy Don's doing, huh? Like, let me, let me read up on that. Or maybe I'm, I'm a doctor, right? And there's other doctors that are saying something. I think, I think it, it's so hard to give any prescription except to say, surrender, a, a, some level of surrender where we get quiet and we, we listen to what resonates for us and, and begin to hear our own song get played and then sing it. You know, yeah. it could be as simple as just playing an instrument. It could be as simple as like, I might be working on Wall Street, doing cocaine every day, right? Just keep myself up. And when I was a kid, I, my mom made me learn the piano, right? And I happen to have a piano in my apartment or a keyboard. And maybe it's just five minutes of just getting back to the simple joy of music and playing the piano. Yeah. And you know, that that can come right for other people. It might be getting out in nature. It might be singing a song to nature. You know, I said that at the, at the event at the, what good shall I do? It's like, sometimes, you know, there's, there's a story. One of my teachers, um, she's from Princeton and um, her teacher was a very evolved being. And he said to her, he said, you want to know why the frequency is higher in Princeton than it is in the surrounding areas? He said, because there was a lady 150 years ago that would walk the creek every morning and chant mantra. Nobody knew she was doing it. Nobody remembers her. But those seeds of mantra have now blossomed into there's a higher frequency in this space, right? There's a million ways, quite literally more than a million. There's infinite ways that we can participate, but all it requires is first and foremost, the desire to participate. And if we don't know how, start with where we are. What, what sings to us? What inspires us, right? It could be just going for a walk. It could be singing a song, going into silence. And it could be as big as starting a regenerative cotton farm in a road India. And it could be bigger than that. But of course, if we, if we, if we base our actions on what we think the size of the impact is, we'll never get anywhere because that's impossible. But if we just yeah. say, where, where are we? And what, what makes my heart sing? What brings me peace? Then we, then we start. Well, I mean, I just admire you and I'm so grateful that you, you talk about prayer because it is a shame that maybe it's polarizing for some people and the way that I think about prayer is similar to you. And I think about like, well, what are the things that I really want? If, if like I could imbue my children with one value, what would that be? And, and like, I 
consolidate that to maybe gratitude and, and like prayer for me and my family is gratitude. It's Mm -hmm. like taking that moment to silence and say what you're thankful for, whether it be a tree in your backyard, a little wildflower, a little honeybee, uh, or a greater spirit. I mean, that's just like these moments that you recognize you're just a small part of something much bigger. And that collective is uh, something that we need to reconnect with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And for me, you know, that back to the prayer thing, like I, I had a teacher quite recently as all this was happening that I, I, I sat with her, her name's Jan Birchfield and we sit in circles. She doesn't serve any kind of ingestible medicine on the surface. It appears to be a talking circle and I show up and she explains, this is not a talking circle. Each one of you have a, a chance to share your job when you're not sharing is to hold space and listen. So we start the circle. It starts with a little bit of chanting mantra, meditation. Then she says, okay, circle's open. It's two days. It's eight hours a day. And for two days, I don't share anything. I don't say anything. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. But after two days, after all this sharing and and the work she's doing, we're all kind of like turned towards God in a way. But at the end of it, two days later, I email her and I say, oh my God, I wish I would have shared. My life's (laughs) falling apart. This is before it all really fell apart. And she said to me, she said to me, she said, what's your relationship with God? And I said, well, yeah, no, I believe in God. She said, that's not what I'm asking you. She said, what's your relationship with God? And I was stumped and I've had a spiritual practice for 20 years and, and, and I was stumped with what's my relationship with God. And she really invited me. She said, it doesn't matter which religion she said, choose, choose, choose a portal, whether it's Jesus Christ or Hanuman or Krishna and start to dive in. So a few months pass and a buddy calls me and he's going through something. And I ask him the same question. He says, what's, I say, what's your relationship with God? He he says the same thing I say. I said, no, what's your relationship? And he doesn't have one. He goes, well, you know, I come from a, a, a Hindi background and, and Hanuman, I don't know if you know who Hanuman is. He's the monkey God in, 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 in that tradition has been coming to me. And there's this beautiful long eight minute chant called the Hanuman Chalisa that I've heard. I've never studied it at this point. And I say to him, well, maybe you should learn the Hanuman Chalisa. It's a big commitment. It's like, it's, it's eight minutes long and every word's different and it's in Hindi. And I get off the phone with him and I realize, oh my God, I was giving myself this advice. And so I said, to learn the Hanuman Chalisa. Um, and it's funny that we're, you're, we're having this talk today. Today is it's Tuesday. It's Hanuman day. I always wear red now on Hanuman day, but Love I learned Chalisa. I, I am not Hindi. I have no connection there, but what, what's wild is after learning the Chalisa and singing it over and over and over again, for me now, when I sing the Chalisa, I sing it every morning and night. There's a place that it takes me to of incredible peace and, and Hanuman is the story of selfless service and, and truly being of service. And so for me, as someone who's not religious at all, like dr- dropping into that and surrendering myself to something greater than myself has been so p- powerful. And for some people, that's not the answer. But this idea of bhakti, of devotion, of devotion, opening our hearts, you know, any spiritual path, you distill it down. And what's, what's the teaching? It's how do we open our hearts, right? And when I think about the work that you're doing, Taylor, on the farm, and, and, and you've shared into your journey a little bit, it's really a journey of opening your heart. You'll never be able to hear the water speak if you don't open your heart, right? And so that's what we're all doing. We're all learning how to open our hearts. 
because there's science that tells you, oh, here's, here's the magnetic capacity of the brain. And here's the magnetic capacity of the heart. And so how do we open our hearts? And part of opening our hearts is also the more we open our hearts, the more we feel the pain, the more we have to feel what's really going on. And, and I truly believe that human beings, our capacity in our hearts to hold pain is also a capacity to heal it, right? Our ability to cry, watch my children and you see it with your children. Your children are going through a really tough energetic moment and there's this incredible scientific technology. There's incredible scientific technology called crying and they <laughs> cry and they transmute that energy and they move forward. And right. maybe we all just need to cry and mm -hmm. feel what the fuck we're doing. And as we do that and really get honest with ourselves, we move forward in a much more beautiful way. Yeah. Amen, brother. Um, you might just feel so good ending on that, but I will give you the opportunity to, uh, we, we like to kind of segue out with them. Um, where, where does hope grow in your heart? Um, and maybe that was it. That was That's it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's it for me. It's the heart, man. It's all about opening the heart. Yeah. I hear you, brother, man. Um, RS, you are a special human being and my heart, uh, I wish we could touch hearts right now. <laughs> we uh, are. Yeah, absolutely. Brother. So I really appreciate everything you you're doing on this journey. Tell Christy, we send her our love too. And, um, Thank you for, for living your just ultimate, you know, potential and iterating as you go and um, big fans. Yeah, I'm a big fan of you too, Taylor, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for all the work that you do. It's really inspiring. Thank you for bringing everyone together once a year the way you do with the What Good Shall I Do. Um, if anybody listening is in fashion and wants to go regenerative, happy to share my email address and I'll put you in touch with Nishant. I don't take anything off of it. I don't get any cut nothing like that um it, it's just Aras a-r-a-s at christy dawn um so if anybody wants to to reach out and, and and get connected happy to do it and yeah man let's let's keep moving forward in a beautiful way with open hearts yes sir thank you brother yeah thanks taylor man you gotta love that Aras just ripping through the end of this episode offering up his entire regenerative supply chain making it seamless, effortless for more companies to do the right thing, um, really elevating and calling for an up-leveling of the entire fashion industry. And so much gratitude to RS. I think that example of offering the olive branch to competitors and seeing them as co-creators is this beautiful example of how nature works. And I'm sure you've heard this in the past, but people say rising tide, all ships are lifted or something along those lines. That doesn't really resonate with me because I am inland. Uh, the closest ocean to me really sucks. No offense if you live in Galveston, Texas. But um, I, the way I see it is out here, I think of it as sunflowers because when two or more sunflowers are planted next to one another, they all grow taller. They just all work together to seek that sunlight and at the end of the day, those freaking dudes are like 10 feet tall and abundant. And so that's what we're going to do. And that's what Aris is doing. Let's co-create. Let's elevate. Let's levitate together. And let's build a beautiful future that we all want to partake in. 
All right, today we're going to end the podcast with a look behind the curtains of Force of Nature. We're going to highlight one of our fantastic, we call him a herd member, our fellow bison. This is going to be a reoccurring theme in 2024. And I feel incredibly blessed to have these people in my life right now to co-create with them. All of them are my friends. And I think it's really important to spotlight the individuals, the human beings that are devoting their lives to creating something so much brighter and more beautiful for a virtuous reality, a future that we'll all create in. And so here's our first feature. All right. I have uh, the pleasure of being in front of Morgan Weeks on today's uh, Bison Herd feature spotlight. Um, it's Morgan, W-E-E-K-S, not W-E-A-K-S, because this oh, no. dude flexes. He's strong. He manages our in-house social media. He's our in-house chef, culinary mastermind. If you're seeing some amazing food content that makes you salivate all over your phone, if you're following us on Instagram, well, here's the man who is uh, creating, eliciting that response. Morgan, tell me, how did you arrive at Force of Nature? Oh, man, that's a... That's a good question. Uh, Let's see. So I graduated college in 2015 and I immediately started working in the insurance world Uh, for my uncle. My uh, my grandfather and my uncle have both been lifelongers in the insurance industry. So I was like, yeah, this just this makes sense. Like they make good money. They seem like they're happy. Like, let's just see. See how it goes. And so uh, I did it for six years. Um, I was good at it, but if I'm being really honest, I absolutely hated it. It was just one of those things where it was like, I was a young student, every single room I was in, I was only like talking about like, Hey, if you're hurt or you're sick, like, you know, here's how we can help you and stuff. And it's just like, it did not fill my cup at all. And so I would, I was finding myself after day after day after day of like really just frustrating days. I'd be in the kitchen cooking and I was not good at, you know, cooking. I was, I had no professional experience. I've never stepped foot inside of a kitchen, um, actually. And so, but it just, there was something about creating something out of nothing and being tactile and creating something with your hands that was just like a stress reliever for me. And so, um, we moved to Austin. My wife starts working for Kettle and Fire. Um, those guys over there, they're awesome. But in that process, like we started hanging around with more and more people that like really had a much better understanding of like the CPG world and the world of food. And um, I was at a dinner party one night and um, I met these two chefs, uh, dear friends of mine. Um, They've cooked all over the world. And this is uh, right around like right at the end of COVID. And so like, we just start, you know, we hit it off immediately, start talking about food and cooking, like what cooking waves are you riding right now? And just kind of seeing, you know, um, what they're into and what I'm into. And I just asked them, I was like, look, like, you know, my, I, I work in insurance, like I, it's not very fun. We're not doing a whole lot right now. It's COVID, you know, we ended up being like neighbors and we were like three minutes from each other. And I was like, can I just like come start cooking with y'all? And just like learning from me. like, I know, I don't know shit. Like, I don't know. I know nothing about cooking. Like, please teach me. And they took me under their wing. So we started cooking together like two, three times a week. And like, it was just so eye opening, just like seeing like their, their experience, the techniques that they were using. But like, I remember very distinctly, like every time that we would like actually eat the meal, it was so delicious. It felt so nutritious. 
And I asked him, I was like, man, like, why is it that every single time that we eat together, like the food just hits so much harder? Like, why is that? And my friend's answer was pretty simple. He's like, well, it's really because, you know, I, I, have my sourcing dialed in and I really utilize like, you know, I'll go to the grocery store here and there, but primarily I go to the farmer's markets. And I was like, cool. Like, can you take me with you and like introduce me to these farmers and ranchers that you're sourcing these ingredients from? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So that next Sunday we went to, you know, the Mueller farmer's market here in Austin. And he just took me by like every single one of his spots. And I was able to like shake the hand of that farmer and, you know, meet them and get introduced to them. And, you know, finally like attach a face to, you know, the people that have been providing this beautiful food for us. And then I started becoming friends with these farmers and friends with these ranchers and started going on their properties and cooking with them and enjoying, you know, meals together and just like learning about them. Like there, it was strictly just like a, you're a cool dude. Like I, you seem like you're doing some really cool things on the land. Like let's cook a meal together. And that turned into like, learning more about biodynamic farming and regenerative farming. And so like my whole world of like understanding like our food system came through the lens of like the culinary side of just trying to really dial in and file like the best, highest quality ingredients possible. And so like it kind of just blew my mind. And so like right around that time uh, that my friend who is, you know, teaching me all this was doing a little bit of recipe development for, for force of nature. And this is the early days. This is like right in early 2021, we were still operating in a garage and at a, you know, house of one of our employees. And uh, he just, I was like, man, he's like, man, like you might, you seem like you're really into a lot of the things that they're doing over here. Um, they're a small company, but you know, I'll put you in touch with, you know, Emily, the marketing director over there and you know, just see if y'all hit it off. And he did that. And, uh, you know, several rounds of interviews later, um, I was able to be offered an internship role, uh, with force nature. And to be clear, like I had been managing, you know, a, a team at this point of insurance people, but I had about 12 people underneath me. And so to go from that, where I was managing teams to, start at the very, very bottom and just be like, Hey, like, you know, you can start this cool journey, but like, we're just as an intern and, um, you know, it's going to be a pretty significant pay cut. But, um, I just, you know, at this point, my wife was actually the one that was like, you need to do this. Like, I want to meet, I want to see the Morgan that I married again. Like, I want to see that guy that was excited to get out of bed. And, she knew pretty much instantly like this was this was it this was the thing that you need to just go like all in like and i didn't really know much about like marketing or like a whole lot about like you know social media creation but it was just something that i had interest in and um man it's just i've been surrounded by some pretty unbelievable people that have helped me get to where i am today um with force of nature but yeah that's that's kind of my story man and how i got here and um, how, you know, just my search for the highest quality ingredients is the reason why I'm sitting in this chair today. Yeah. Well, we're grateful and blessed to have you on the team. You really embody one of our core values at Force of Nature, which is to feed others as you wish to be fed. You're like mm. the living testimony of that. Food is your love language. So it's so great having you as a part of this community. Um, I'm going to ask you, we're going to pivot. Let me tell me, where does hope grow? Mm. Hope grows at the dinner table, I think. Uh, you know, it's for me, it's, you know, feeding others as you wish to be fed. Like, I think 
you know, one of the most, one of the best things that you can do right now, like just for yourself is like one, just to, you know, learn how to like cook something. Um, and two is like invite people in and share a meal and just like, it's just, you know, cooking and eating is something that, you know, humans have been doing since the dawn of time. Like we've evolved a lot with like technology and other things, but like the specific part of like cooking and eating, like that hasn't gone out of style and it will never go out of style. And so, you know, where does hope grow? It's, you know, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that are wanting to really make an effort to like sit down and share a conversation and just like talk about like the day or you know, how they're doing. And I think that like, that's a huge building block of, you know, kind of like breaking up that cycle of like being in your office all day or like, you know, working and like being disconnected a little bit, like kind of like helps ground you um, a little bit. And so especially with, you know, with what we're doing with regenerative farms and ranches and um, just highlighting the amazing work that we're doing and then you can oh by the way have a absolutely delicious meal because of it like or that's not hard to get behind and so i think uh yeah i think that's where that's where hope grows for me i love it brother that reminds me like a lot of times we sit down and it's all about the consumption of food to feed our bellies and mm. nourish our bodies but what you're talking about is greater it's it's feeding our soul mm. through community through conversation so I'm with you, buddy. That's where that's where hope grows. Yeah, man. You know what's up. Give me some love. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Morgan. <laughs>